The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. Hello again, dear friends. Father Lee here with another podcast. We're shifting gears a bit over the next several weeks to take an in-depth look at the book of First Peter. Martin Luther once wrote, This epistle of St. Peter is also one of the noblest books in the New Testament. It is the genuine and pure gospel. What truer words could have been spoken? Here, St. Peter outlines the work of the gospel in the life of the church, how believers are to move in the world around them, and in the face of suffering and persecution, pours out beautiful images of hope for his congregations. What a noble genuine, pure gospel indeed. At St. Aidan's, we have a particular method for reading scripture based on the historic Christian patterns for reading the Bible. We ask four key questions while we read. What happens? Where is Christ? How should I live? And finally, what is our hope? I have a longer video detailing this method for reading scripture on our YouTube channel. If you're interested, You'll find a link in the description, along with the links to the discussion notes for this episode. In the time of coronavirus, we, like many churches, are unable to gather to read scripture together. So this meeting is being hosted via Zoom. This poses benefits and complications. So I ask for your patience as we're adjusting to this new method for hosting meetings. And I invite you to sit in on a small group discussion at St. Aidan's as we open up the first epistle of St. Peter. All right, Jenny, why don't you go ahead and read it for us, and then we will, uh, we will just dive right into the, to the text tonight because there is a lot to talk about. Okay. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to, com to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself 
to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. So normally what we do when we begin our reading together is that we say what happens first. So the first thing that we're trying to understand is what is going on in the text. Now, sometimes it's helpful for us to draw a diagram. Uh, in this particular passage, it may be easier to use the, the older Bible study method um, that, that we've used in the past where we simply ask, what caught your attention? So listening to what happens here, what Peter is trying to communicate to the group, the cluster of churches that he's writing to, as we were reading the passage, as you were reading along and Jenny read to us, what was something that caught your attention? Maybe it was a word or a phrase or an idea. What caught your attention? Um, let's see. Verse, second half of verse 23. Um, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. All right. And what grabbed your attention there? That he didn't take it upon himself to do anything positively or negatively. He gave the... He gave it a, a, his right away to the judge. Who else had something that caught their attention in the passage? For me, it was in verse 16, uh, when he says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Mm -hmm. Just that, you know, I mean, there's a lot to, for me, even to figure out about what he means when he talks about freedom versus what we often think. Um, but we do a lot of times try to use freedom to cover up evil actions. I can do what I want. Um, and for us, the, the juxtaposition of freedom and servanthood at the same time mm -hmm. is something that um, tests me a little. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's a weird juxtaposition too. The those two phrases just, you know, bookended together on that same the the same verse, that idea of you are free and so be good slaves. Um it's it's confusing. It makes sense in the larger context because of what uh what Peter's talking about here, but it still is um it still catches you off guard. Who else? Who else had something in the passage that caught your attention? One of the things that I picked up on in verse 13 um, is that phrase, being subject, subject for the Lord's sake. Uh, and he, Peter keeps coming back to that issue two or three different times in this passage. I'll, I'll try to remember to point them out and get to them. But it's like that, that, that our behavior reflects on God, and that reflection has an impact on the whole community around us, that the way we reflect God in the places where we live uh, changes those places. And so if we have poor reflection, then God is dishonored in our communities, especially by those who are not, uh, who, who are not believers. And if we choose to behave well, 
uh, and that reflects also on God and brings glory to him. So there's, there's a lot of that sort of honor, shame, um, um, patron, uh, vassal sort of language there um, that, that, that definitely caught my attention. What else? What, what are other things that you noticed? What, what struck me was this is such a timely scripture. Of course, all scripture is timely, but this is even more today when people are writing and claiming their freedoms and all this kind of stuff. You might point out that at the time that Peter wrote this, Nero was Nero was emperor, so he's a pretty bad dude. So there was a lot of suffering going on. Mm-hmm. Mine's more simple because I'm a simple person. Verse 15, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Mm-hmm. I like that one too. <laughs> yeah. What else? What other things caught your attention while we were reading? I think in verse 18, when it talks about slaves, submit yourself to your masters. That today we can apply that if you're if you're still working, not retired like some of us, that, uh, of your employee employer, you know you should, even if you have one that's not fair. Sometimes you still have to do your best job. Silence their ignorance with goodness. <laughs> okay. Other things? Anything else catch you guys' attention? So let's hey, look at. I got one, finally. Okay. Looked at right here is uh, verse 17, where it's honor all people, but that same honor is used for the king also. So it's not, doesn't appear to be two separate types of honor. Um, you know, honor people like you would honor a king, kind of, you know, with that love of the brotherhood, fearing God. That stuck out to me. Yeah, that one seems to be sort of like a, 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 a major linchpin, and it's going to tie back into something that I'm, I'm interested in hearing from you guys about, but we're, we'll get into that when we get into the, the iceberg stuff. I don't wanna, I don't wanna jump ahead if there are other things that you guys found that were, um, that were particularly interesting. One of the commentaries that I read pointed out that verse 22 through verse, um, through verse 24, um, that, that this entire thing that he says here, that he committed no sin, no deceit was in his mouth, this entire passage is Peter paraphrasing Isaiah chapter 53, which is the, the suffering servant passage. And it's interesting because it, it is literally a paraphrase. None of the things that Peter's saying here are in the correct order. So it's almost as though he's reciting the passage of Isaiah 53 from memory. You can see him sort of walking around as, as the letters being transcribed. And he's, uh, you know, he's, he's in preacher mode and he gets caught up and he just starts reciting and the verses are all jumbled around. Um, but the, the, the basic, like the, the kernel, the basic content of it is all right there. So let's move on to the iceberg questions. So the iceberg questions are us pausing for a moment in our reading to say, what assumptions am I bringing into the text? When I read these particular words or these particular phrases, what goes without being said either for me or for Peter? Because there are things that go without being said in Peter's mind just as much as in my own mind. So what are some ideas or concepts or phrases that we need to be careful with so that we're not misreading the passage, so they're not reading our own assumptions into it as we are uh, trying to study this passage from 1 Peter? 
What are some places in the text where you would have drawn a box around the content or did draw a box around the content? Maybe there's maybe that too. I think I'd draw a box around um, the word slaves. Mm -hmm. Yep, that one is uh, a, a major point to bring up. And there are some good things and some bad things that we'll, we'll have to, to, to say about uh, about that in this particular uh, context. What else? What are some other things that you want to make sure that we pause to pay attention to? Places where we bring our own assumptions into the text. I think Jeremiah mentioned freedom. What does what does freedom mean in the first century versus what does freedom mean in in our context right now? How do we use those words um, the same, or how do we use those words differently in our own individual uh, places in life? I would have questions about um, like exactly how does the relationship between I guess the word relationship I already used, but like our understanding of like how authority relationships work, like how we have a very kind of law-based regimented understanding of authority, but if this is a little more relational or, or how does that, uh, is, he, is he saying exactly what we think he does about, about those kinds? All right, what else? Are there other places that you drew bo a box around the text? I think verse 20 is interesting. I read in a commentary this week, and they stated that we lead by serving, and we serve by suffering. Mm -hmm. Other things? Other places you draw a box? Let's talk about a few of these points before we move on to um, to the to the other levels here. All right. So the first one is um, let's just go in order. All right. So the first one is this idea of what what does what, what do rulers and authorities look like and how do they relate to each other in Peter's context? Um, so everybody look at verse thirteen in your translation. I'm using the the English Standard. I I think several of us have English Standard, but if you have something else. Look at verse 13. This is the way the English Standard translates it. Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor sent by him to punish uh, those who do evil and praise those who do good. So that very first phrase, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. How do your translations tra handle that particular passage? I've got the NIV. Mm -hmm. uh, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Oh, okay. Others? Does that pretty much cover everybody's translation? So a, a couple of those, um, we'll, we'll, we'll read it again. So it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, just like Joe mentioned in our study last week, the, the question that we ask is always, what's the therefore, therefore, okay? So he's saying, be subject for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's, what is he talking about for the Lord's sake? Well, if we look back at verse 12, he's just told us to, whenever we are among the Gentiles, to keep our conduct 
honorable so that when they speak against us as evildoers, they may see our good deeds, and when they do, they will glorify God on the day of visitation. So be subject for the Lord's sake, too. And then there's this strange word. Um, it doesn't show up often in Scripture. And a lot of people, when they're translating this passage, take this word in, in Greek is, is uh, ktesis, and they take this word and they apply it to the phrase before it, or the, the phrase immediately following it. So they make it be subject to human creations like the emperor and the governors. Um, the problem is, and, and the, the, the primary, the, the primary scholarly resource that, that we look at when we're doing translation is called the, the, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, the TDNT. And it points out in, in that, and most, most modern scholars of, of Greek point out that this word doesn't mean institutions. It doesn't mean something that's created by something else. It means creations. So what Peter is saying here is he wants us to be subject for the Lord's sake to every creature, whether it be the emperor who is supreme or a governor who he sends. And this is backed up by what he then says at the very end of this passage, bookending it by saying, honor everyone, love each other, fear God, honor the emperor. He uses different words and different phrases in that, and we'll talk about that in, in just a second. But what, what he says at the beginning of this is, I want you to honor the emperor, and I want you to be respectful to the judges, and I want you to pay attention to those who are placed in authority over you because your behavior reflects on God. When you're in these places, when you're in these circles of power, the way that you live reflects back on you. And it may be that they're going to hate you and they're going to hurt you anyway. Um, and that because that's he, he says later on that's exactly what they did to Jesus of course they, they hated him and they hurt him but they weren't able to say things uh, they, they weren't able to bring real charges against him they were only able to bring fake charges up that, that they made up and were quickly and easily dismissed by anybody who wasn't this phrase in Greek is a stupid idiot our translations are a little bit nicer the the ignorance of foolish people but in Greek it just says stupid idiots so That's my favorite Greek word. Can you like send that to me? <laughs> right? I'll go, I'll go, I'll look it up really fast and send it to you. So that when stupid idiots say stupid things, they won't have a, a leg to stand on. Don't give them extra things to do. Now, here's why this is interesting, and, and this is worth pointing out because of this the, the issue of slavery. Um, obviously, slavery is wicked. Okay. People don't get to own people. That's not part of God's kingdom. And people who imagine themselves to own other people are not friends with Jesus. Those two things are mutually exclusive. Paul points that out when he, when he sends a, a runaway slave back to the master. He says, now you're receiving back your brother. Paul takes away ownership of, of one person from another person because Paul is his father and says, this is what happens, or there's not a community here for you any longer. If you receive back to yourself someone other than a brother, then you don't have brothers in that community any longer. Those are Paul's words in Scripture. So it's important for us when we read this passage to say, why is Peter taking time in the midst of this discussion 
to say, all right, so you guys, you, you guys who are slaves, be quiet. And then he's going to move on in just a second. He's going to say, all right, and all of the wives uh, just simmer down now. And then in the next chapter, he's going to say, all right, all of you kids, quiet your noise and, and pay attention. Stop annoying all of the elders. Why is he saying this? All right. The question behind the text, anytime we're trying to understand something that doesn't make sense to us, we need to ask, why is the author, why is Peter communicating to his congregations in this particular way? And to understand that, we need to go back to, to this question about who is he writing to. So at the very beginning of the letter, he says he's writing to the resident aliens, the elect exiles, the people who are dispersed in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia. So the people who are in Turkey, the people who are in the Celtic lands, the people who are in the interim places, and the people who are scattered at the edges of the empire. He's writing to the people who are scattered in other communities, because this is the reality of Peter's world. Peter's church doesn't look like my church on Sunday morning. It doesn't look like normal churches. It doesn't look anything like an American church on Sunday morning. All right. We know this from the writings of the, from, from the very beginning, the earliest writings of Christians tell us that the churches from the very beginning were made up almost entirely of three groups of people. They were made up of women. They were made up of orphans and widows, and they were made up of slaves. It was entirely too costly for well-to-do men and, and, and people who owned property for them to leave behind the state religions of whatever particular region they were in to follow Jesus. Now, eventually they followed Jesus, but Peter's not writing to a congregation in the land of eventually. Peter's writing to a congregation sometime around 50 or 52 uh, AD. He's writing at, at, as, as he is arriving in Rome. He's going to tell us later that he's already in Rome, that he's writing to the, the, the people that are in the churches that he founded. And he's writing this letter to explain to them, you guys need to understand how to live in the world where you are right now. And the Christians at that time don't have any influence in society. They don't have any patrons who are taking care of them. If they get arrested, they don't have anybody who's going to plead their case in front of the court. They don't have any of the kinds of protections that we take for granted. We just assume that if somebody doesn't like the way that we're doing church at St. Aidan's uh, and they want to they wanna make a big stink about it, then we'll go to an ecclesial court or we'll go to an actual court and we'll get lawyers and we'll hash all of that out. That doesn't exist in the world of Peter's epistle. The people in Peter's church don't have that option. And so what Peter is explaining to them is, we need to survive. Now, he doesn't say here that you're going to be, when, when he talks about suffering, it's interesting in this last, the, the last half of this, when he talks about suffering at the end of the passage, he doesn't say suffering for the sake of Christ. He just says suffering like Christ. The suffering that he describes here is not persecution. It's just suffering. And he says that in the midst of suffering, you have the option of becoming like Christ. You have the option of joining yourself to Christ because he also committed no sin. He also had no deceit in his mouth. He also was reviled, but he didn't revile back. He also suffered, but he didn't threaten violence. He continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly and so bore our sins in his body, and by his stripes we are healed. 
Okay, so this passage does not justify the practice of slavery because Peter's not writing this passage to people who have slaves. He's writing this passage to his brothers and his sisters who are in who are trapped under un, under the sinful institution of slavery, and he's writing to women who are who who are in relationships where they are not safe with their husbands because their husbands are chasing after false gods, and he's writing to uh, to children and to orphans who don't have protection in the societies where they live. The only people who were caring for them and protecting for them and and provided any covering for those people, these at-risk marginalized communities, the only place that they had safety and solace was among the church. And as Joe already pointed out, the church was not a safe place for them to go, at least not in, in Rome, because Nero is the one who's in charge right now. And yet they found a place where they had community and they had fellowship. They found a place where they could experience life in a way that they never did before. So does that, I think that kind of touches on the points that we brought out about slavery and freedom and relating to rulers and authorities and suffering and obedience. But if, if, if we want to, we can, we, we can really spend most of our time hanging out there in verse 17, because verse 17 is the whole, is the, is, is the, the linchpin for the entire discussion. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The advice that he gives to his people is submit yourselves, put everyone else's needs before your own. That's the very first thing he says, put everyone else's needs before your own. If there is any single thing that in any single uh, word of wisdom, any single action that, that the, the world around us right now today requires is Put everyone else's needs before your own. Stop serving your own needs and instead serve your brothers and your sisters. And then he goes on. Having done that, love the brotherhood. Love the people who are in your household, in the household of faith. And fear God. Give, give worship to God and honor to the emperor. Again, that's one of those passages where like, it's good to honor the emperor. Yes, I like that idea. But what he's saying here is something, is something other than we might normally hear, because we understand that the emperor was this guy who was from a family, right? We all pretty much understand that there was a, there was a family of people, and the, the firstborn son usually ended up being the emperor, right? In Peter's world, the emperor was a god, now we, we immediately, as soon as I say that, right, you're like, oh, well, no, not really. No, really. He was a god. He had temples to himself and priests to himself, and people offered up sacrifices and prayed to him, all right? He was a god. But Peter says, you give reverence, you give worship to God. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. Respect the emperor. Obey the emperor. But worship God. He sets out where our allegiances lie. Right? Just like Jesus says, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, but only give to God the things that belong to God. So let's move on to talking about where is Christ in this passage. So if we, if, if, if we be, we've begun to understand how the passage works, we understand what some of the content and some of the tricky content means, the question that we ask next is, where is Christ? What do we see 
God doing in this passage? Where do we see the triune God revealing God's self to us in this passage? As we're reading along, we mark those places with little crosses. That's, that's my suggestion. You can mark them in any way that helps you keep track of the, the, the markings and the notations in the passage. I put little crosses next to them. Uh, so where do you find Christ as you're reading this passage? I think verse 24 kind of sums the whole thing up. That mm -hmm. By his wounds, we've been healed. You know, we can mm -hmm. be the greatest preacher, greatest teacher, greatest servant, greatest anything, but that doesn't save us. It was by his wounds on the cross that we were healed. Mm -hmm. Then we serve God after that. Exactly. Absolutely. What else? Where else do you see God at work? In 23, where he talks about um, um, when he was reviled, he did not revile. When he suffered, he did not threaten. <coughs> Where else? What's God doing? What's God at work doing here? I like at the very end in verse 25, where Peter uses the, the, the image of, of Jesus being the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Shepherd and the overseer. So if this is what God is revealing to us about who God is, then how should we live? What kind of life does that, does that revelation call us into? This is that in response to what I've, what, what I've read and what I've seen, I believe that God is calling me to fill in the blank. What's God calling you to do in response to what you've heard and what you've read so far? How should we live? Go ahead. We should show respect to all people, even when they're being crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found this this interesting phrase. Let me see if I can find it really quick. So this is in verse 18, where he's talking about slaves being subject to their masters with all respect. And he says, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. The word that he uses there for unjust doesn't just mean, some of them will say mean, but it doesn't just mean mean. It means, uh, it, it means twisted or broken. Even if your master is twisted and broken, you show him respect and you obey him because it's a form of endurance that we undertake in order to show our allegiance to God who is our king. What else? What kind of life are we being called into in this passage? may be unpopular but the thing that kind of stuck out to me was called to live a life of suffering mm -hmm. which is very countercultural to america <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah we definitely don't like that any anything but that wait this is this this has a cost i have to change my behavior i have to become uncomfortable i don't want to have anything to do with that I think going back to verse 16, that was what Jeremiah had mentioned earlier, that we are not using our freedom as a license to sin. Are there others? Other places where, where, where 
St. Peter's calling us to a different kind of life than we are living now or a particular kind of life that he's calling us into. We'll just put verse 17 down there at the bottom. I mean, really, all of the content in the second, the second half of chapter 2 is summed up there in verse 17. And then he's going to, he's going to move on in, in just a second to talking more about suffering. So we're going we're, we're gonna to hang out in, in the realm of suffering here for a couple more chapters. So if that is the kind of life that we're supposed to live, what kind of kingdom does it seem that God is trying to inaugurate? What is our hope? What's the promise that we, that we have? Peter doesn't say this here, but I'm guessing that it's somewhat implied mm-hmm. um, that when he's talking about, you know, Jesus was reviled, he didn't revile in return, he suffered, but he didn't threaten. Um, and, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly at the mm-hmm. end of verse 23. I mean, you know, and then it's like, and then they killed him. But we all know that the the killing didn't stick, <laughs> and so, and so it's like Jesus went through all of these things, and we'll go through our own suffering, but that's not the end of the story, because the worst they can do to us is still something that <coughs> God can defeat and reverse. Mm-hmm. I also like the the next verse, verse twenty four, um, the idea of uh, of us being dead to dead to sin and alive to righteousness. The commentators on on that particular verse get all flustered because Peter mixes up a whole bunch of different ideas from Scripture, and they don't entirely know what to do with it. But I'm a preacher, and so I, I know what it's like to get caught up while you're giving a sermon. And uh, sometimes the metaphors don't always gel together. You don't always have time to go back and, uh, and, and, and erase and make all of your metaphors exactly, uh, exactly as clean as you want to be. But that image of, of dying to sin and, and being alive to righteousness is, is a beautiful picture of what God is calling us into. What else? Where is our hope? I know I keep harping on verse 17, but if you look at the way that verse 13 and 17 tie together, there's, there's this idea, the, the, the note that I wrote down is, it is he says, be subject to, to, to everyone, including the emperor and, and all of his governors, for the Lord's sake, not because they've earned it, but because God has earned it. Because God has set the world in motion, because God has instituted order and not chaos, we obey authorities in our lives because of God. And in obeying them, we're giving honor to God. And so the, the note that I wrote there is that, it, is that even in the midst of those things, Jesus is Lord. And obviously that changes the way that we interact with the emperor. Um, but I found this, this interesting quotation from uh, Justin Martyr, who's writing at the beginning of the, the, the second century. So, so he is um, one of the second generation Christians. And in his first, uh, his first defense, he wrote, More even than others, we try to pay the taxes and assessments to those whom you appoint, 
as we have been taught by him, and he quotes uh, Jesus telling, telling his disciples to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And then he says, so we worship God only, but in other matters, we gladly serve you, recognizing you as emperors and rulers of men and praying that along with you, uh, with all, along with your imperial power, you may also be found to have a sound mind. It's a little, little dig there at the end. We also pray that you are not crazy because inbreeding is, you know, wreaks havoc on the Roman Empire. So that brings our, our, our reading of chapter two to a conclusion. Is there anything that we didn't bring up that you want to make sure that we do bring up? Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.